Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello. Hi, how are you? Welcome to Ross Safari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal stuff. I am excited to have you all here. And uh, there's a bit of a, 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 a disclaimer, uh, a claimer, a dis disclaimer, double negatives, a claim, a claimant. Uh, there's a, there's a, okay, y'all, I am tired. And on top of that, um, this episode is being recorded on Tuesday night, which is really early for a Zoo News episode. So if things happen on Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, you're not going to hear about them. And if you send me stuff on those days, uh, the, you're not going to hear your name at the end of this and you're not going to hear um, hear it until next week. But I will be saving all of that and, you know. It may still make the episode for next week, and I will definitely say your name next week. Uh, but this is a crazy week for me, y'all. Um, so I mentioned this, I think, before, but uh, Under the Sun, my uh, my show that I, I wrote and, and arranged all the music for and everything, um, is going to be performing in Reno, Nevada this week. It's for a private thing, so I can't really talk about it, um, which is kind of a, a bummer because it involves an animal name, uh, but <laughs> it would actually fit the podcast really well. I think I'm allowed to talk about it afterwards. I hope so. Um, but yeah, so we're going and doing this private show for a couple thousand people and, um, it's, it's totally crazy. I will wake up tomorrow morning. I will fly to Reno. I will go and I will do a tour of the venue and just kind of make sure everything's copacetic. And then on uh, Thursday morning, I will wake up and have a leisurely breakfast and then roll on into the venue where we will um, have a little bit of time to run through the show. Three of the cast members, it is their first time doing it. Uh, we've had a few small acoustic rehearsals, but um, it, it'll be our first time on a stage, our first time with real drums playing through everything. We have just enough time to run through everything once, and then we get a dinner break, and then we do the show, and then some of us fly out on Thursday night, and the rest of us leave on Friday early morning. So, like, it's a blink-and-you-miss-it kind of thing, uh, and it's going to be really fun, but I thought I should get the podcast out of the way first because otherwise my head might explode. So, um, yeah, so that's why I'm doing this early and it's just been a crazy week, y'all. It's been a good week. There's been a lot going on, but, um, I'm, I'm very ready to go to sleep right now. And instead I'm recording a podcast for y'all. Uh, since, uh, since it is, um, going to be, you know, only a couple of days worth of news, it'll probably be a bit shorter of an episode than usual. Uh, although I feel like every time I've ever said that I end up hitting, you know, 45, 50 minutes anyway. Did you guys know, do you remember those of you that have been around the whole time? That big part of Rasafari Zoo News was that it was going to be a half hour long, like, at most every week. And that's just not the case. Some of these even go longer than the interview episodes now. So uh, I do love that. And I have heard from so many people that, you know, Zoo News 
actually, I can even tell you just from the stats, Zoo News has become more popular than the uh, interview episodes. Not by a ton, not by a ton. Most people tend to listen to both. But Zoo News is officially the most popular thing that I do, which is kind of surprising to me because it's me talking a lot and sometimes stumbling through things like at the beginning of this intro. But uh, I appreciate that y'all like it. I appreciate that you're all here. And uh, let's let's get to it. Zoo News. All right, y'all. So uh, we're going to start it off. And actually, the first bit of Zoo News is that I want to tell you that there's a new Zoo News parody intro song that is being worked on. Uh, Taylor and I have yet again put our brains together and uh, come up with a new one. And actually, in this case... um, Taylor did all of the parody lyrics and stuff pretty much. I think I came up with one little thing, but uh, yeah, so something to look forward to. It'll be a couple weeks till we get it produced, but just so you know, there is uh, there's another one coming. Slow but steady, we like to, to mix it up. Okay, that's not real Zoo News. The real Zoo News starts by talking about some of the births that have occurred in uh, the last week. Zoo Atlanta has announced the birth of a new baby sloth. A slothlet. And um, the female uh, of the um, the parents is Nutella. And uh, it is the first time that six-year-old Nutella has had a slothlet. And the father, it's really cool, uh, became a dad again on Father's Day. His name is Coco, and he is a 30-year-old sloth. So that's really exciting news. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that some people might get up in arms about the age difference. But uh, as long as there's real love, who cares, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, congrats to everyone at Zoo Atlanta. And that brings us to another really exciting and kind of cool birth, which is the birth of a baby female mandrel. Now, that would be a mandlet the way that we do this. But also, if it's a female, shouldn't it be a womandrel? Oh, he's got jokes, y'all. He's got jokes. But anyway, yeah, on June 6th, uh, the Columbus Zoo welcomed a new female mandrel. And it's really exciting. This is not a species that you see doing a ton of breeding in captivity. And actually, you don't see in many places. Um, but mandrels are one of the coolest looking primates. If you're not picturing what I'm talking about, they kind of look like they're wearing a mask. I highly recommend you Google it. And the baby is adorable and, according to staff, is doing great, is very strong, and is very curious about her new world. So uh, hopefully uh, she'll be on exhibit soon and we can all go check out the new baby mandlet. I will I will never get sick of this, just in case you were wondering. Uh, okay, the next birth that we're going to talk about is actually at the Detroit Zoo in Detroit, Michigan. And um, it's just a, a cute little story. Uh, so this is a male giraffe that was born at uh, the Detroit Zoo. 
And uh, unfortunately, when the calf was born, or giraffelet uh, was born, uh, it was underweight, and the uh, mother and and son had a hard time nursing. It was not going really well, and so um, in the first 12 hours of life, it was pretty touch and go. And then Zustaff actually intervened to help the calf latch and to make Zara more comfortable while nursing. I love this story because it's not just the like, oh, this isn't working, so we stepped in and hand-reared, which y'all know I have no problem with, I think is a beautiful thing and and saves a lot of animals that, you know, had they been born to those parents in the wild, uh, would not have made it. But I think it's really, really cool that the, uh, the zoo was able to step in and to um, help with latching and with nursing and with comfort and all that kinds of stuff. The calf is now nursing several times a day and is gaining weight at a healthy rate. So it's really, really exciting news. Congrats to the incredible team at the Detroit Zoo. And then finally, for births this week, the Lehigh Valley Zoo has something kind of cool. I talked about this in one of their episodes when they were doing the interviews. But um, in case you can't picture it, uh, the Lehigh Valley Zoo has a bison herd that lives outside of the zoo in the Trexler Nature Preserve. So the zoo is actually in a nature preserve. You even have to ford a stream as you are leaving with your car. That's, you know, a fancy way of saying drive over it because it's shallow enough that you can. But man, it doesn't really feel like it. And um, if you ever played Oregon Trail, you definitely uh, are going to have a flashback when you do it. And yeah, so these uh, bison live out in this preserve, and you can drive by and see them. And they have had a new baby born, a bicelet. And yes, the person who sent this to me, uh, Emily, uh, did put that in the email. So great job, Emily. I like seeing these let's catching on with people and with fans and it's making me very happy. Um, but yeah, there is a baby that is there and they are visible because this is, as I said, just out in a nature preserve. Um, you know, right outside of the zoo. Uh, but the odds are that if you drive there, you won't see the baby because the grasses are taller than the baby right now. Still really, really exciting birth. And then we have just a couple of deaths that we're going to talk about this week. Um, they are sad, but don't worry, they are not numerous. So there is that. Uh, the John Ball Zoo uh, has announced the passing of their 18-year-old female Amur tiger, Nika. Uh, Nika was euthanized um, because of some changes in her movement, and uh, this led to a diagnosis of arthritis, and uh, unfortunately, um, the treatments just weren't working anymore, and her quality of life started to suck, and she was sowing some other, you know, other uh, indications of aging, so they decided that they needed to euthanize. Uh, Nika was actually born at Beardsley Zoo back in 2005 and uh, has given birth to four cubs. Uh, so that is that is a cat that is truly going to be missed, but 18 years old is a very good age, and, um, you know, sending our, our condolences to everyone at John Ball Zoo. There's also a penguin who has passed away at the Columbus Zoo. Um, the penguin was named Katya, 
And um, she and her partner Hans lived a very, very full life together. Uh, she was 27 years old at the time of her passing. And she actually came to the U.S. from Germany decades ago. Uh, she and Hans parented and also fostered numerous chicks in their lives. And uh, the staff at the Columbus Zoo says that she had a lot of confidence and a lot of wit, which if you've ever gotten to spend time with a penguin, you know, is definitely a thing that can happen. That's really cool. So, um, you know, sad to hear that Katya has passed, but awesome to see that that she had such an amazing and full life. And then the uh, last death that we're going to talk about this week uh, is actually at the Smithsonian National Zoo, where they lost a two-year-old female addict named Terry. They're not entirely 100% sure exactly what happened, uh, but Terry was found dead on habitat near a fence that separates the attics and ostrich habitats. Uh, they did not witness the events leading up to the death, uh, but the necropsy showed evidence of a cervical fracture, which indicates that something may have spooked Terry and caused her to run and collide with the fence. Now, this uh, is a really sad story, and the National Zoo always does amazing work, so I am very much not um, complaining about them or anything else. But this is the third time in the last couple of weeks that I have reported on a hoofstock animal colliding with a fence and dying from it. And then there's a, uh, a fourth one um, that was also uh, hoofstock, the giraffe, that uh, got injured, but fortunately didn't die from it. Um, so I, I don't know what's going on with this. I don't know. One thing that I have learned from doing Zoo News for so long now is that things just sometimes seem to happen in waves. There just seem to be these weird little trends. And then right as you start to look at it and say, huh, is there something more there? It just never happens again. And other times it is the sign that something is happening. So uh, I'm just going to hope and trust that the professionals in the industry, the, the AZA and the people that make the fencing and the keepers at the various zoos uh, are keeping an eye on this and are aware that, that these things have been happening in various zoos around the country. And um, hopefully this is just one of those coincidences and uh, not not a trend. But if it is, I'm sure that everyone will move quickly to eliminate the problem uh, moving forward. So definitely sending our condolences to everyone at the National Zoo. All right, let's talk about a couple of animal names. So uh, last week we told you about the birth of a new baby sloth, a slothlet, at the Cincinnati Zoo. And uh, they opened up a naming contest uh, on their social media, and it lasted less than 24 hours. And in that time, more than 36,000 people voted on the name. And the name of the new baby sloth at the Cincinnati Zoo is Juno. Now, I was talking to a friend who may or may not happen to work at the Cincinnati Zoo and may or may not happen to, uh, you know, have spent some time with Juno. And uh, they say that she is just wonderful and adorable and growing well and everything is going well. My guess is that the staff there is still a little on edge after the stillbirth that happened with Lightning's last slothlet. But uh, from all indications, it looks like the baby sloth at the Cincinnati Zoo, Juno, is doing amazingly well. Uh, yeah, makes me real happy. But then 
you know that already. <laughs> and then it seems like it is just not possible to do a week of Zoo News without talking about the place that has just become my new best buds, the Greensboro Science Center. And y'all, I'm so excited to actually share the episodes from there. I can't believe that they've been on the podcast so much, and I've actually had multiple guests now reach out to me, which a lot of y'all don't do. I, I know that there are thousands of you listening every week, and then, you know, I hear from a few which is great, and I like hearing from my people. But um, it's amazing to me that multiple people have reached out and been like, planning a trip to Greensboro because I found about them on the podcast, and, you know, thanks for sharing all this cool stuff about them. And and their episodes haven't even dropped yet. It's all just been all the cool Zoo News stuff. And uh, wait until you hear the episodes because you are going to fall in love with the facility, the animals, and um, and honestly, the people on the podcast. You're going to see why I love this place so much. Uh, and so now for, for their story this week, um, they, I, I told you recently that they have a pygmy hippo baby, a pygmy hiplet. Yeah, I think we have to go that route. Otherwise, it's just a piglet. Um, and that's, that's a different thing. But anyway, our friends at the Greensboro Science Center have announced that the name of their pygmy hippo is Huckleberry, which is the cutest name ever. And in case you're wondering where that comes from, uh, you may have seen on social media posts about the pygmy hippos there that the mom is named Holly, but Holly is actually short and the mom's full name is Hollyberry. So Hollyberry, Huckleberry, it's a baby berry, it's a Barelit? Ah, this is going, okay, this is getting weird. But uh, I'm really excited to let you all know about the cutest name lately. So yeah, loving it so much. Can't wait to share more Greensboro Science Center with you all in the future. And speaking of zoos that I'm going to be sharing with y'all in the future, uh, the Maryland Zoo recently stepped in and started doing rehabilitation for a female North American river otter pup, or otlet, um, which uh, at the time of her rescue was about 40 days old and was found stranded on the shores of a river in Elk Neck State Park in Maryland. Now, it's worth mentioning with all of the um, discussion about picking up baby wildlife and not doing that and everything, that park officials found the abandoned river otter and watched for signs of its mother for an extended period of time. And only when the mother did not return did they contact a local animal rehabilitation facility and consult with them. And then eventually the team altogether made the decision to bring the otlet okay, it's a pup, to the zoo for care. So uh, I love this story for many reasons. I love that they did the right thing and didn't just scoop up a baby and hope that they were saving its life while actually killing it. And I also love that the Maryland Zoo, a huge, amazing, wonderful zoo with like elephants and stuff, is also willing to open its doors up to a little North American river otter pup that needs help. It's a beautiful story all around. 
Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo has announced the arrival of Rocket, a new Maasai giraffe to them, when I say new, not a baby, uh, that is a seven-year-old male um, that has arrived from Turtleback Zoo uh, as a breeding wreck. And um, I've actually seen Rocket multiple times at Turtleback Zoo and look forward to continuing to see Rocket at Cleveland Zoo. Um, and so uh, the interesting thing here is that uh, Rocket is already the tallest giraffe in their yard by a good bit. He's around 16 feet tall. And as a young adult male, he's still growing. So Rocket is going to be one of those really, really tall, really, really inspiring giraffes that uh, makes people fall in love with the species uh, at the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo. So very exciting addition for them. And speaking of giraffes, uh, there was a major medical procedure done to one of the giraffes at Roger Williams Park Zoo in Providence, Rhode Island. Jaffa, who is a 12-year-old male giraffe, had a corrective hoof trim done to all four of his legs. Uh, he has chronic hoof issues, which is common in older giraffes. And yes, if you heard my little stumble there, I started to say foot. Uh, but hooves are just the feet of hoof stock which I guess makes us feet stock and makes trees wood stock. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I mentioned I'm tired. This this is on y'all for listening this long. Uh, but yeah, this is a procedure where um, Jaffa had to be fully anesthetized and there were many veterinarians brought in uh, from the zoo's team and other zoo teams and also from uh, various veterinary hospitals and all kinds of specialists were brought in. It was a whole thing. Um, there were people there from Columbus Zoo, Omaha Zoo, Zoo New England, Tufts University, all kinds of stuff. Um, and actually, uh, the, the procedure went so well that, uh, he was able to, um, recover with, uh, his herd at the, at the zoo. And I actually, uh, some, some very exciting, um, eyewitness <laughs> <laughs> eyewitness reporting here. Uh, so the person who sent this story to me, I, I usually say this all, you know, at uh, at the end, and I, I, I still will, but it is somebody who has been contributing every single week, and his name is Kevin Williams, and I am wildly thankful uh, that, that he contributes. He literally sends me um, a, a digest of articles every week. It's, it's really sweet. Um, and uh, he let me know um, that he actually got to see this giraffe, Jaffa, on exhibit recently um, after this procedure, and he looked really good. So, like, it's kind of cool having somebody there who saw it and just was able to say, hey, I saw this, and, uh, and I enjoyed it tremendously. So thank you, Kevin, for that firsthand account, and um, yeah, great news at Roger Williams Park Zoo. After some major storms hit the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, the Tulsa Zoo had to close for not one, not two, but three days uh, in order to do a full cleanup of the zoo. Animals and staff were fine, um, but there was a ton of work that needed to be done. And honestly, they didn't even realize how much work needed to be done. Uh, so they kind of had to make the decision each day to stay closed and do the work. Uh, so if you are looking to maybe help out a zoo with a donation that, that could use a little extra help right now. Tulsa just had to close for three days, so send them some love. They are a wonderful facility. 
Zunu England has announced the acquisition of two gray kangaroos named Augie and Opal. Uh, now, these guys are living in the Outback Trail exhibit, which is a walkthrough exhibit that already houses emu and um, the red kangaroos and wallabies that have been living there for quite a while. So this is now a, a third species of, of roux. I'm counting wallabies as roux, even though they're not wallaroos, um, which are actually a different thing. Anyway, but um, yeah, that you can see in this walkthrough exhibit. And I really like gray kangaroos. I'm I'm a big fan of them. So if you happen to be in the New England area, go check these goobers out. And yes, they are kangaroos or goobers. It's it's a fact. Speaking of new exhibits, our good friend Rick Schwartz at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park has to be very excited right now because the Safari Park has recently welcomed two binturongs, twin sisters Zula and Atara. Now, binturongs are one of my favorite animals. Y'all know that. And they are also Rick's favorite animal. And uh, we talked about that a lot back in his episode. And um, sometimes even kind of message each other just binturong things just to make sure we're not missing anything, which is just something that I love. So uh, yeah, the uh, the binturongs are living right next to Thorn Tree Terrace at the Safari Park. And y'all, I... I mean, I love going to the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. And and now they have tree kangaroos, including a joey and binturongs at the Safari Park. And they have binturongs and red pandas at the zoo. Ah, it's so great there. Throw in the sea turtle named Lola at Birch Aquarium, and I can hit all four of my bigs right in the San Diego area. So maybe I need to make a trip back. And then last but not least in Zoo News this week, in crappy Zoo News specifically, not that the news is crappy, but that the zoo was, Doc Antle has been found guilty of four felony counts of buying endangered animals. He faces up to 20 years in prison, and sentencing is set for September 14th, 2023. Four felony counts. Now, this is one of the people that was in the whole Tiger King mess. Uh, and if you didn't watch that, honestly, I get it. I didn't either. It was, I don't, I don't need to see that kind of stuff. Um, I do know the story though. I, I did hear a kind of true crime, more real, less sensationalized podcast about it uh, a few years ago, uh, before the, the show ever dropped. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I hope he gets a pretty harsh sentence, but yeah, Doc Antle is guilty. <laughs> All right, and our first story for conservation news this week is that El Nino has arrived about a month or two earlier than usual, which will also give it more time to grow. There is a 56% chance that it will be very strong, likely to alter weather around the globe and drive hotter temperatures. So... That's exciting. The uh, extra warming here would occur around the equator and um, can cause all kinds of extra crazy storms and damage and just bad things. On the other hand, however, this story does uh, make me think of uh, the dearly departed Chris Farley, one of my favorite 
SNL sketches with him ever was when he was talking about El Nino. And I swear every time I hear that word, despite knowing that it can wreak havoc and cause all kinds of problems for our world, all I can picture is Chris Farley on SNL uh, pretending that he is a wrestler called El Nino and saying, Yo soy El Nino. And for those of you who don't habla español, El Nino is Spanish for the Nino. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should really check it out. It's hilarious. And moving back to serious conservation news stuff, um, there has been a huge milestone in the conservation of the critically endangered Scottish wildcat. Uh, it seems that the first ever captive bred Scottish wildcats have been released into a national park in Scotland. There are 22 of these cats that have been released and they have all been fitted with GPS radio collars so they will be monitored in their new environment. It's really exciting to hear about any reintroduction stuff, and especially because this was a partnership known as Saving Wildcats that was led by the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland, but has many, many local partners all coming together to help save this species. A team of scientists studying the coral reefs off the U.S. Virgin Islands have reached a really interesting conclusion and come up with a really fascinating idea. So basically, by using microphones, uh, the scientists have been able to figure out that fish make a lot of noise. Sea life in general does. Uh, snapping shrimp pop bubbles. Whales and fish call out to each other, uh, mating songs and other things. Um, they, they really are. They, they're songs. Uh, there are eels that have a kind of mating noise that literally is a sound that's very similar to a bass drum. There's all kinds of stuff. And uh, some of these scientists have these recordings from back in 2013 when the reefs were healthy. And it's a very, very loud, audible, it's a cacophony of sound. It is a beautiful song of the ocean. And I'm, I'm not talking Little Mermaid style here, right? Uh, however, the reef is basically dead now. And uh, as, as such, uh, most of these animals have gone away. And uh, unfortunately, that includes the tiny larva that is needed to build up new coral and bring the reef back to a more thriving situation, which would be extra good because the government has actually passed protections uh, for the area. Unfortunately, by the time they got passed, uh, the reef was was pretty dead. But the protections are there, so if we could bring the reef back to life, then that would be a protected reef. Yay. So, how do you get the larva back? Well, some scientists think that because the ocean is such a loud place that maybe the underwater animals, including the larva, uh, react to sound more than other cues. And as such, they have set up speakers under the water and are playing recordings from 2013 when the reef was healthy in order to coax the larva back and convince them that it's already a thriving area 
at which point they could start to grow more coral, and then that could actually happen and become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's really interesting science, and I'm really curious to see how this turns out, but uh, I, I, I love the thought, and I love where they're going with it, so now we'll see what happens. In other all right, one quick story in other news this week, and this is from a town called Chotick, Wisconsin, and uh, I would just like to point out that uh, one of our regular contributors, Kim Cooley, sent me this story and also sent me the pronunciation of the town name so I don't look like a big dummy. I am wildly appreciative of that, Kim, because I 1,000% would have said Chetik. Chetik like Cheddar. I don't know. Anyway, but... In Chautauk, Wisconsin, uh, police deputies had to respond to the report of a giant snake on a roof. Not on a plane, but on a roof. Um, and it turns out that this was a pet that escaped and climbed up to the roof. And uh, some sheriff's deputies were able to uh, get it down safely and get it back into its home. It's a really, really big snake. Um, and I also just, just really enjoyed um, part of the Facebook post about it that the sheriff's department put out reads, The other night, deputies were requested to a residence in Chodic for a report of a giant snake that had escaped its residence and was out on the roof. We think the description of giant was an undersell. Upon arrival, deputies were able to utilize some tools and retrieve the giant nope rope and secure it. We won't judge people's choice of pets, but we're pretty sure most people live in northwest Wisconsin to avoid these jungle monsters. Great job, guys, going above and beyond to help keep this non-native Severus snake from roaming the streets. And I, I just loved that post so much. Although I, I am going to slightly judge the, the exotic pet ownership thing. Like, it's cool if you want to own an exotic pet in some ways. We, we talked about walking that line. But you darn well better know what you're doing and it darn well better not escape to the roof of your house. Come on, people. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Hey! All right, y'all. So it is still June, which is Zoo and Aquarium Month, World Oceans Month, and Orca Month, which they seem to be celebrating by attacking more boats, which is not great, probably. Um, but yeah, and so as far as individual days this week, there are only two days. On the 23rd, you get Pink Flamingo Day and Take Your Dog to Work Day. And then the 25th is National Catfish Day. And that is it for the entire rest of the month. So, uh, yeah, we'll pick up animal holidays in July. But until then, those are your animal holidays for the week. Uh, 
All right, and there you have it, folks. I would like to take a moment to say thank you to all of my patrons, and especially to my Red Panda-level patrons, Laura Shank, Kristen Dickey, and Stephen Williamson, and to remind you all that you can support the pod for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed this week. It's a shorter list than usual, but again, it's only Tuesday as I'm recording this. Thank you to Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Jesse Nicole, Emily Pochet, Laura Shank, and Emily Rockbuck. There's going to be a fun little uh, blooper after the credits, so make sure you stick around. And remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. And speaking of new exhibits, uh, my good friend... Wow, first wipeout, 23 minutes in. Impressive.